Well, good morning. Awesome to see you guys here today. We are in the middle of a series called Mind Grenades, looking at these uh, radical teaching of Jesus through his parables. And uh, our goal with the whole series is simply this. We want us, you and I, to see life through the lens that God wants us to see it, to kind of change our perspective and to view things through the lens of God. And so we've been looking at a few things. The first week, we talked about this incredible opportunity that God has given you and I as the church of Jesus Christ to go on mission with him to reach the world, to reach people for him. In fact, we just showed you a video. I don't know if you've been paying attention. The last three weeks, we've shown this same video. It's how we're going to do that. We're going to have small groups that love each other or growing together and go on mission together, serving our community for the cause of Christ. And so we, we get to be in that mission with God. Uh, the second uh, week, we talked about the perspective, if, if we're going to be about his mission, that, that in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus told a story that we've been given resources, whether that's our, our time and our talents or our money or our bodies, that we are not owners of those things, that we are managers of those things, and that we are to leverage and manage our resources for his kingdom and for his cause. And um, today, what we're going to do is simply this. We're going to look at you and I. Are we ready for this? Are, are you and I committed enough to those things? That what we just sang, got Jesus, where you go, I'll go, and where you, what you say to do, I'll do, I'll follow you. Now, I don't know about you, but I struggle with commitment. I think everybody does from time to time. We all have our struggles there, right? Uh, one of the ways I struggle with commitment is with this right here. And when you, when you buy a phone, you, you get, if you go to the, the, the cell phone company, they'll give you a phone or, or, or they'll discount it or they'll put it on 0% interest if you get a contract, 24 months or something like that. And then you're locked in, right? Then they got you. And then by the time your phone comes off, your kid's phone breaks, and then you got to get a new phone. And so you're always locked into these contracts. And I hate that commitment. I don't know why. It's like a holiday in my house when we don't have anyone on cell phone commitment. It's like, I could drop my phone right now if I wanted to. And my kids are looking at mom like, he's not going to do that, right? <laughs> we need our phones. You know what's more fun than struggling yourself with commitment is watching someone else struggle with it. <laughs> and, and what I mean is this. In my line of work, I get to be a part of a lot of weddings, and I love doing that. Uh, but my part in a wedding is I walk out with the groom, and I do the ceremony, and then I go home. Uh, but while I'm waiting, you know, for the big moment, I'm standing backstage with the, with the groom. And you're, they're usually nervous getting in front of somebody, or they got cold feet, or they're wondering this, or they're thinking about that. And and uh, some guys, it's just stage fright, and some guys, they just look terrified. And the, and the only look I can think it relates to is the same look in the eyes that you see from the chickens in the cages heading to Gainesville, <laughs> the final march of the chicken, right? And they're like, life is never going to be the same again. And I get to witness that scare, fear of commitment, too. It's pretty funny. Today, we're going to look at what Jesus said about commitment. If we're going to be followers of him, there comes with that commitment. And so if you've got your Bibles, they'll be on the screen as well. Luke chapter 14, we're going to look at just straight out of the Bible, the words of Jesus. And it starts with this large crowds in verse 25. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus. He attracted a crowd. And then he turned to them and said, if anyone comes to me, Listen to this. And does not hate father and mother, 
wife and children, brother and sister, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Now, that's a pretty high standard Jesus is throwing out there, right? He's raising the bar of what it means to be a committed disciple of Jesus Christ. And let's just be honest. In, in the church in America today, a lot of times we read those words or we hear them, and, and, and the vast majority of Christians today say, you know what, if that's what it means to be a disciple, I'm really not interested in that. I'm really not interested in a radical following of Jesus. I don't want to be thought of as fanatical. I don't want to be one of those Jesus freaks. I don't want to toss around the term born again. I just want to be the plain vanilla kind of a Christian. I want to press into that. I want to press into that in your heart and in my heart because I can tell you this, it's in my heart too. Can I take a less radical following of Jesus Christ. And, and clearly Jesus is saying, no, if you and I are going to be his disciple, it means everything. Now, let me give you a little context. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem uh, for a Passover, and many of the people in the crowd that's following him have seen him do miracles and, and have witnessed his amazing teaching, and some of them have been fed with the fishes and the loaves, and so Jesus is passing out free meals. And because of all those things, he's got a following. And they're following him to Jerusalem for this Passover because they're thinking maybe he's this Messiah, this Jewish thing we're going to get what we want is a country of our own. And listen to this. They're following Jesus for the benefit. And they're following Jesus for what he can give them. And it's in that context that Jesus turns around to the crowd and he says, listen, I got some hard things to say to you, and it's clear, but whatever, however you take the words of Jesus that we just read, you have to say this. He didn't need followers like that. He didn't need followers like that. And so he challenges them on a couple things. He challenges their understanding of who he is. Listen, I'm not this, this Messiah that's here to do for you. I'm the son of the living God who came to do so much more for that than that for you. And he changes their view of what he's there to do for them, not simply to give them what they want, but to ultimately die in their place. See, he was heading Jerusalem. In one place in the, in the Gospels, it says he resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He knew exactly when he was going to die. He knew he was going to Jerusalem to die. He knew that this was literally the last days of his life, that he's going there in order to die on the, on the behalf of all the sins of the world. For your sin and for my sin, he resolutely set out to die so that you and I might know the living God, so that you and I might have a home in his family. And he wanted those people to know, and I just I believe he wants us to know that when he died, he didn't die so that you and I could make a decision. He died so that you and I could become his disciples. See, Jesus didn't ask for just a one-time momentary humbling of ourselves and saying, Jesus, I have a sin debt before you. Will you forgive me? He died so that you and I could certainly do that, but then we would live with a lifestyle of humbly submitting our lives to him and being his disciple. That's why I died. And that is sacrifice. They didn't know it yet, but we know it. We can look back and see the sacrifice that he was about to make in Jerusalem was so incredible and so huge, it demands a commitment. 
It demands a commitment. Now, in the passage here, he said you're supposed to hate your mom and your dad and your sister and your brother and hate all these people. And I want you to know he's using hyperbole, okay? It, what, it means, what that means is he's using exaggeration. I'm going to, and then you exaggerate hyperbole, right? Mushroom cloud, right? He's using hyperbole. He's not saying you're supposed to hate those people. That's good news, right? But what he is saying is your love for me and your love for God, the God who created you and sustains you every day of your life, the God who is laying down his life on your behalf and the love you have for him and what he's done for you and how good he's been and this God who consistently pursues you and loves you and gives you chance after chance to follow him and get him right and your love for him is to be so great that the love that you have for everyone else pales in comparison your love for him. And because you love him so much, your love for others looks like hate. In fact, in a parallel passage in, in Matthew chapter 10, he says that you are to love God above all others. Above all others. So let me just ask you, how well are we doing at loving God that way? See, what's going to distinguish a disciple from someone in the crowd is how we love God and how we love others. In fact, I believe you can't be a disciple of Jesus Christ without making a few life-altering commitments to him. I I believe these are foundational commitments. If you and I are going to go from a decision to being a disciple, if we're going to go from the middle of the road to something that God created us to be that is fully committed to the God who would lay down his life on our behalf, then there's a couple life-altering commitments that you and I make as a disciple. The first is this, that the people in the crowd, they love some, but a disciple loves sacrificially. A disciple is someone who lays down their life. A disciple is someone who carries their cross. A a disciple is someone who loves God above all other human relationships. And they love precedence over others is the primary um, loyalty in your life. He takes precedence over other commitments in your life. And your love for him looks so strong that it looks like hate when you compare it to others. How are we doing? So when God calls you to love him, he, he, he laid down his life and sacrifice for you, and he asks you to love him back in the same way. Can I tell you, it takes sacrifice to follow God. It takes sacrifice to get up early or stay up late, to spend time cultivating a relationship with God in Bible study and prayer. It's a sacrifice of your time. Sometimes it's a sacrifice to get the kids dressed and to get here, and it's nasty out, and you've had a long week, and it's a sacrifice to make attending God's church a priority. Sometimes it's a sacrifice to give of yourself financially for the kingdom and that you you do without in order to see God's kingdom grow. Sometimes it's a sacrifice to serve joyfully other people in the body of Christ when you would rather not, but you do it because it's a sacrifice of love to you. It's a sacrifice to pray for one another. It's a sacrifice to love one another when we're not very lovable. But a disciple loves sacrificially. And they love that way because that's how they've been loved by God. 
that Jesus would lay down his life for you and I. Does that ever just blow you away? Do you ever, do you ever just stop and think about why in the world would he love me the way he's loved me? That he would willingly and gladly lay down his life for the joy set before him, enduring the cross, scorning its shame, and then sat down at the hand of the Father all because he loves me. So I'm, I'm a couple months ahead of my sermon prep, and so when I was writing this, it was Christmas time, and uh, I just watched A Wonderful Life. You guys watch that show? It's A Wonderful Life. I love that. I used to never watch it. Now it's like every year I got to watch it, and it's on like 18,000 times on cable TV. So, you know, I caught it one of those times, and and I love the scene at the end. You know, the the old savings and loan is is bankrupt, and they're going under, and then people start bringing money and. Even the IRS agent there, the person in that scene is, is an elderly lady who comes in with a big old purse, and she opens the purse up, and she doesn't just pull a, a few uh, bills out. She takes the purse, and she dumps it. She empties it and says, you can have it all. And she gave sacrificially because she loved sacrificially. Now, we said before, this is a series on parables, and that wasn't a parable, but Jesus follows this statement of, of loving God and carrying our cross with two parables, actually three. And so we're going to read those uh, briefly here and, and just push into this idea of commitment, push into this idea of being a disciple, push into the idea of what is it going to look like for you and I to live that way. And so he says this, starting in verse 28. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower, which was pretty common on a farm, don't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it. For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up, circle this word, everything. If those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciple. You know what Jesus is saying? I want you to be a disciple, but before you decide you're a disciple, you need to count the cost. See, following Jesus will cost you something. And I want to just say, let's just be up front. That message has been lost in the Western American church. We hear lots of other people saying it won't cost you anything, that you can just follow Jesus on your own terms, that you can follow Jesus with a half heart will cost you. Be clear from his own words that following him will cost you. It's going to cost you. And I know in my own personal life, I so badly want people to know Jesus in a personal way that I think I've even watered down what it means to follow him, wanting to soften the blow of this big commitment that he's asking for because I want them to know him so badly. Yet what, what we're trying to do to help in the short term ultimately hurts in the long term. He says, take up your cross and follow me. You know, we, we wear the cross around our necks. How, how many of you have a cross necklace on or some form of cross? Yeah, we wear it all the time. We've got them as, as a beautiful symbol in our, in our church building all over the place. But you have to understand something. In Jesus' day, the cross wasn't a symbol of, of love. The cross was a symbol of terror. The cross was the means that a Roman government would inflict lethal harm to a criminal. 
it was a sign of terror. How many of you guys, you've gone out and you've bought something for your wife and you decided that you were going to get a gold-plated necklace with a syringe for lethal injection? Because <laughs> that's exactly what the cross meant in that day. I'm going to take up that syringe of death and follow Jesus Christ. So, we're not to partly follow Christ. We're not to half-heartedly follow Christ. You can't kind of have a baby, right? And you can't sort of get married. It's kind of an all-in situation, isn't it? But somehow we've been, we've been um, deceived enough to believe that somehow, some way, we can sort of put our toe in the water and sort of follow Jesus Christ. When Jesus has made it clear, listen, it's not a, a partial thing. It's an all-in commitment. Where God says, I want to have every access to every part of your life. I want a dominion over every decision you make. And I have the rights to what is right for you. Can I tell you, you can go halfway with Jesus. Half, can I tell you my, my own personal story? The first few years as a believer in Christ, it was a half-hearted, partial commitment, and it was the most miserable season of my entire life because it was never meant to work that way, and it doesn't work that way. Jesus is calling for all of you to follow all of him. That's the only way this works. I'm kind of a World War II buff. I fancy myself that anyway. I watch all kinds of documentaries and, and movies and read books. And I just, I'm fascinated with the story, the epic world stage story that has taken place in World War II. I'm fascinated by the people, mostly, that sacrificed their lives during that time. Uh, they called the greatest generation in our nation, and I believe they were, because literally everyone that was alive in that day had to sacrifice something. Many sacrificed their lives. And the reason they did so was there was an evil through Nazi Germany and other fascist regimes that was spreading over the world, and it was a horrible evil. And they said, listen, we have to confront the evil that is spreading. And so even though it's going to cost us a lot to do that, the cost of not committing to doing that is obedience to him and following him and saying, God, where you go, I'll go. There is a cost. But can I tell you something? It is far less of a cost following him than not following. That's a far greater cost. I also want you to understand that that evil that was around those years ago during the war, there was an evil behind that evil regime. In fact, I believe there's a greater evil behind all evil in our world. you guys believe that? There's a greater evil at work in the, in the evil intentions of the hearts of men and women. There's evil intent. There's someone behind the evil intent of, of wickedness and war. And that evil is still trying to spread today. It's still around. And it's trying to dominate this world and spread its wickedness. And yet here we are as the people of God that you and I can have the same kind of commitment that, listen, that the, we cannot stand by and watch the win. We have to do something to prevent that kingdom from growing. So we invest our lives in God's kingdom so that that kingdom would come to ruin. So, let me just ask you, I'm going to ask myself, what are we willing to give up in order to see God's kingdom come?
What are we willing to sacrifice? Because Jesus said, listen, people in the crowd have limits to what they're willing to give in order to see my kingdom come. But a disciple pays whatever it takes. In fact, that's what the passage said, that those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my, be my disciple. The disciple says, God, listen, you can have all of me and all my ambitions and all my dreams and all my talent. You can have it, and I lay it down before you. I got great news. God's only asking for everything. <laughs> He's only asking for everything you got. Isn't that good? I don't know about you, but it's easy to say, God, you can have all of this while I'm hanging on to something else. You can have everything else, but not this. God, you, you can do what you want in these areas of my life, but not, not this area. God, you, you can do with my life, what you, but, 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 but I've got this. And, and So another way to ask this is, what are you holding on to that God is asking you to let go of in order to better follow him? See, I think it's really easy in the general sense to say, God, you can have everything in my life, but then it's really difficult in the specifics. It's really difficult when God says, okay, you want me to have everything, then how about that? And he points it out, and you go, oh, no, not, not that. Not that. God says, listen, if you're going to be my disciple, you've got to be willing to give it all up. Can we uh, some things? And it's going to cost you potentially relationships. If you're going to follow Christ, then it's going to cost you financially. If you're going to follow Christ, then it's going to cost you potentially a promotion. If you're going to follow Christ, it might ruin your reputation. If you're going to follow Christ, there's going to be a cost. And yet somehow, someway, we still hang on to the things that are costing us. Sometimes they're obvious things like bad habits, sinful behavior, destructive relationships. And then we know that they're bad for us and yet we hang on to them. Others are more subtle. They look like good things, uh, a good lifestyle. And um, um, lost my place. A comfortable lifestyle and, and, and different agendas and priorities, raising our kids, advancing our career, having an early retirement. Those are good. I pray God gives you all that and more. But when you and I set our hearts on those things ahead of God's things, it becomes an idol in our life. When we prioritize those things ahead of the kingdom of God and knowing God and growing for him, then listen, those things are getting in the way of you and I following Jesus Christ and being used in the thing that you're holding on to right here. And you're saying, God, you can have those other things, but not this thing. God, I can just tell you right now, God wants to press into that one thing. And he says, listen, until you let go, until you can hold it with an open hand, and you show me that you trust me, because this is saying, I don't trust you, but this is saying, God, I trust you. And God may never take it from your hands, but he has the right to do so. He says, until you come to me with open hands, You'll never be my disciple. He concludes this, this whole idea of commitment with a very simple statement. It's a very short parable. And he says this. He says, salt is good. Can I get an amen there? Isn't salt good? 
How about salt and butter on a baked potato? No amen? Come on, somebody. Salt and butter and sour cream on a baked potato. All right, there we go. Throw some bacon on there, even better. Salt is good. All right, whatever. Salt is good. (laughs) But if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. Whoever has ears, let them hear. In this last parable, you and I are the salt. There's other places in Scripture that talks about us being salt. Let me ask you something. You ever made a big old plate at a holiday or, you know, just a great meal at home, and you get it all ready, and then you throw some salt on it, and you go to take a bite, and it's bad because it's bad salt? Anybody? That has never happened to you because, guess what? Salt doesn't go bad, does it? That salt sits on your table for years and it doesn't go bad. So what in the world is Jesus talking about if salt loses its saltiness? You know what he's saying? In his day, right right down from Jerusalem was the Dead Sea. And in the Dead Sea, it would collect all kinds of minerals and it would produce salts and, and crystals that looked exactly like salt but wasn't salt. In fact, it was gypsum and it was bitter and it was stale. And you never, ever, ever would put it on your food. It was worthless. You know what the point that Jesus is making to all this? He's saying, listen, you need to be salt and not fake salt. He's saying, listen, if you're going to be a follower of mine and a disciple of Jesus Christ, don't just look the part, live the part. Be salt. Be light. Be different. Because if you can't lay your life down before me, I can't use you. If you can't have a life-changing commitment to love God first above all the other things, I can't use you the way I want to use you. And if you can't come to me with an open hand and say, God, you can thing in my life, then he can't use you the way he wants to use you. And you can never know him the way he wants to know you. Don't just look the part. I come to church or I I have a Bible or I I do this or I do that and there's some forms of being a follower of Jesus but deep down in my heart there is not this life altering commitment that I put God first and he's above all things and I love him beyond everything else can I tell you guys it is a constant struggle for me and I don't feel like I live up to this because I love that group over there my family I love this church family and, and to compare my love for God to my love for them and for you it's hard to say I love him so much that everything else looks like hate. And I can tell you at times there is, I have had a, a grip on things and my knuckles are, are white holding on to things. I said, please God, don't take this. And that's the very thing he says, that's what I want from you. Because it's keeping you between me and being useful to me. Then he says, he who has ears, let him hear. Do you have ears? Let me look. I think everybody, (laughs) you're wiggling them at me. That's kind of creepy, but good. (laughs) We have ears. That's all of us. So he said, listen, it's, it's time to listen to what I'm saying. I want everybody to evaluate your life according to what I just said. 
See, only disciples of Jesus, not the crowd. The crowd's not into going on this rescue mission and helping other people that are far from God find God. Only a disciple is going to say, hey, listen, when God says, let's go rescue the world with the mission you said to Gus Christ, only a disciple says, here am I, God, send me. And that great commission you said to go and baptize and teach, that's not for somebody else. That's for me to do. Only a disciple thinks and lives that way. And only a disciple says, hey, listen, God, everything you've given me isn't mine, and it's for your kingdom purposes, and I'm going to use that, and I'm going to sacrifice those things so that your kingdom would grow and your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Only a disciple lives that way. And only a disciple that has the spirit of the living God leading them and pushing them and growing them and working through them will willingly lay down their life before a holy God and say, God, you can have me do whatever you want with me. God, I tell you, it was pretty awesome this past week. Our church got to do an outreach. We were in the parking lot of Kroger over there. We did live music. Uh, we handed out hot chocolate and nobody drank. And uh, that was awesome. And then we gave away a grill, so we got a bunch of people to register for a free grill. And most of all, we were just out talking to our community and ministering to them. And on Wednesday night, some of our small groups showed up, and so they brought some of their kids with them. And uh, we're hanging out, and the kids took the flyers, and they were handing out the flyers to the cars as they went by. And it was so awesome to watch these kids enthusiastically, excitedly flagging cars down and handing them flyers. So one of those cars stopped. And he filled out a card. His name was Darren. I said, well, how did you get the flyer? He said, well, one of those kids handed me the flyer. I said, oh, that's awesome. And as we began to talk to, to Darren, he had a hunger for God, but he, he didn't have a relationship with God. And he, he was searching for just that very thing. And, and so through a conversation, he, he said, yes, I want to take Jesus, not just as the Savior of my sins, but the leader of my life. And right there in a Kroger parking lot, he prayed to ask Jesus to be the Savior and the leader of his life. Let's give God praise for that, by the way. Isn't that good? And then I got to walk over to those kids and say, hey, guess what? Y'all are handing out these flyers. A guy just came by, and you handed him a flyer. One of y'all did. And he came, and, and, and he didn't know God, but now he knows God, and, and he's going to be in heaven with us one day because you guys came out here and sacrificed your time in order to see the kingdom of God grow. And my whole point of this story is simply this. It's worth it. The sacrifices are worth it, that we could take as many people possible with us to heaven one day because everything else is going to fade away on that day, and it's not going to matter all these other things that we strive for. What's going to matter is how many people are there. And if you and I give ourselves to the Lord to love sacrificially and to offer ourselves fully, we could get to take a whole bunch of people with us. Doesn't that sound good? Don't you want to live your life for that? Don't you want to be a part of a movement like that where the Lord's doing that in our midst? Can I tell you that Jesus is calling every person in this room to be a disciple of his, and it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you. He's asking for nothing less than a life-altering commitment from you. Can I tell you, if you 
put your faith in Jesus, but you never had the intention of following him when, when you uh, uh, prayed a prayer or when you uh, got saved or when you uh, did something at a church and you felt like that was kind of a defining moment, but it was never your intention to obey Christ or to change your life or do anything different. I want to ask you uh, if you are in the faith. I think it's a perfect opportunity to evaluate whether Jesus Christ lives inside of you or not. James, the book of James, he said, can such a faith save you? Can, you? can you ask something from God but never offer yourself back to God? Does that faith save you? To evaluate whether you're in the faith. Secondly, there might be some folks in this room that signed up to follow Jesus. You said uh, you took Jesus as the Savior of your life, and you had every intention for him to be the Lord of your life, every intention to obey him, every intention to follow him and make progress and growing in him, and you have fallen flat. And if you're being honest, you'd say, my salt has lost its saltiness. And I have gotten off track from where I know God wants me to be. Can I tell you, it's time today to re-up your commitment to following Christ. This is just between you and him, that I'm going to follow you today and from this day forward by the grace of God, by the power of God, by the presence of the Holy Spirit, with the help from the church, by obeying your word, God, all these things you've given me, I'm going to do my best to follow you and lay it all down before you. Third person in this room may be the person that said, listen, I have never committed my life to Jesus Christ. I have never done that. I want you to understand, if that's you, that God has already committed himself to you. He already did it. Romans 5, 8 says, while, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That if this was the span keeping us from God and our sinful behavior separating us from God, that when Jesus came and died upon a cross, he came all this way. He made all this gap go away, and he came this close. And he's calling out, follow me. Trust me. Put your faith in me. I'm this close. If you'll simply open your heart up to me and trust me as the Savior from your sins and the leader of your life, will you follow me? Let's bow our heads before God together. So, Father, in this moment, we wrestle with the idea of commitment to you. And I thank you, God, that though we have failed you time and time and time again, God, that I have let you down in my commitment to you, you have been more committed to us than we could ever comprehend. For when we are unfaithful, and the first person I want to pray for, Lord, is the person who, who had some kind of experience with you. But in that experience, there was never the idea that they were going to live for you. They were never going to be your disciple. They were never going to ask to be changed by you. God, we believe you're in this room. You're alive and you're speaking to our hearts. If that's you, would you listen to the Spirit of God speak in your heart right now and ask, am I in the faith? Have I trusted in Jesus Christ alone as my Savior and as my leader? If he says yes, you thank him for what he's done for you. If there's a doubt in your mind, you can settle that today. And God, I pray for your church family here who 
that second scenario where they said yes to you and intended to follow you, but somewhere along the way they got derailed. And they say, God, I, wanna, I don't want to just make a decision. I want to be your disciple. I want to love you above all things. I want to lay my life down to you and surrender. I want to take up my cross and follow you. God, would you lead them to make that commitment today and say, today, God, you can have all of me. Moving forward today, God, you can have all of me. God, from this point on, I'm seeking you first. Your kingdom, your righteousness first. Lord, I want to pray for the one that has never made that commitment. But literally today, they feel the breath of God on their face right up next to them saying, follow me. You can trust me. My cross and my resurrection is enough for the utter and total forgiveness of God and you can be ushered into his family by simply receiving me. If that's you today, say, Jesus, come in. I invite you into my life to forgive me. Into my life. God, I invite you into my life to love me. God, I invite you into my life because I want to follow you. Here's what's going to happen. We're going to sing a song. And some of you need to be praying. Just continue in prayer right where you are in your seats. Some of you just need to stand up and praise God for the the life that he's given you through Jesus Christ. But we also want to make this stage open. The front of this stage is an altar before God. And some of you may want to come and kneel before God and just say, God, I I want to live for you in a different and profound way. God, I want want my, my commitment to you to be up today. I want to just tell you that I love you and I'm ready to follow you. And where you go, I'll go. So as they sing, you do what God asks you to do. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.